How long does it take to visit a faraway land? To experience a memory in full color? To leap into the past or the future? To meet an interesting character, real or imagined? With a good dime story, it can happen at the speed of just a few simple words. This is your chance to go anywhere a story can take you in three minutes or less. Welcome to the Dime Stories podcast. I'm Jennifer Simpson, director of Dime Stories International. And I'm Nicholas Thurkettle, author and regular at Dime Stories Orange County. Every month, writers gather at a local Dime Stories chapter and share their three-minute stories. Fiction or nonfiction, they're all true. The three favorite stories from each event are archived on our website, dimestories.org. And in this podcast, we're putting together some of the best of the best to share with you. I remember circling the cul-de-sac arm-in-arm with my new best friend, Didi Wong, and my new neighborhood, Inaya, Hawaii. We were trying to figure out if the kid sitting on the lava wall by the new house was a boy or a girl. The Hang 10 t-shirt and below-the-ears 70s-era shaggy hair offered no clue. The new kid was the first to speak. You like play chalk? Didi and I looked at each other, shrugged, and accepted the pieces of white chalk the new kid held in an outstretched hand. I'm Dawn, she said. Some things like making friends were so simple back then, but childhood was also filled with challenges. For our very first episode, we're exploring some of those childhood challenges with three stories. We start off with Don Ryan from our San Diego chapter, who makes that realization everyone eventually makes about the older kids. This is Big Boy. Little boys know there are big boys, bigger boys, and that they are not a bigger boy. They are not as fast. They are not as strong. They must be deferential or assertive at their peril. That in time they will become bigger boys does not compensate. Even if they get bigger, the bigger boys will also get bigger. And the little boys will just be bigger little boys. We would meet on a grassless lot strewn with pebbles and glass, a sandlot. Our uniforms were our after-school street clothes. The game was football, tackle football. No two-hand touch, no flags to grab. The players were a mix of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Two captains were selected by voteless affirmation. They threw fingers, odds, or evens for first choice. The order of selection was usually an accurate reflection of how you could play. Little guys were picked last. I was a little guy. Players were scratched in the dirt of the sandlot. I never got an assignment to run with the ball or to go out for a pass. I might be told as an afterthought, you stay in and block. I guess our quarterback got tired of repeating himself, telling me to stay in and block. So he told me to go deep for a pass. Of course, the other team ignored me, and I was five yards in back of the defenders when I looked around. Our quarterback was scrambling and couldn't find anyone open to pass to, except me. What the hell, better an incomplete pass than a loss behind the line of scrimmage? So he let go with a heave of desperation in my direction. The ball ball floated in the air like a Goodyear blimp with laces. 
It slowed as it rose to its apogee, then accelerated as it arched down at me below. Never had I seen such a majestic flight, then or since. To my disbelief, my arms cradled it in. I turned and raced to the goal line. The defense was incredulous and outraged, stomping their feet, yelling at each other, and smacking their heads in disgust. I don't remember how my team reacted. I do remember that after that when sides were picked, I was chosen sooner, and more passes came my way. So what? There are more ways of becoming a big boy than having birthdays. Was an event that happened to an eight-year-old so long ago important? Someone has said, greatness, however greedy, stays with one forever. Indeed, decades later, I am still telling the story. <laughs> Don Ryan has been regularly writing short pieces, stories, essays, plays, and poems for about 15 years. In addition to serious painting and sports activities, Don has competed in master's meets and sprints, long jumps and hurdles, and at one point had the sixth fastest time in the world. He tells us, no, I am not writing my novel. I marvel at the ability of writers who can sustain a story for so many pages. We go from a football field to a community swimming pool where the seeds of insecurity are planted as one girl recognizes that her friend is more popular. One of our Albuquerque regulars, Dee Cohen, shares Long Island Sunset. Summer is almost over. Two months of spongy days pressed like green stamps into savings books. Every afternoon you walk down suburban streets to the public pool with your best friend Amy. Amy, always in front, her sandals smacking as you cut a diagonal path through waxy hedges, a stringy towel over your shoulder, your sneakers still damp from drying, tongues out on the porch all night. You pass the deserted junior high, then cross the main highway into the industrial park below low-slung factories where men in coveralls lean against metal doors, calling chica, chica, chica. Brave Amy curtsies. You wave limply, but they are watching her. She is prettier, fluid. The cheeks of her bottom glow like crescent moons above her tanned legs. How did this happen? It is like you missed a page in a book, one that Amy has studied and absorbed. You meander up the long hill, Amy talking of boys and clothes and makeup. You strain to keep up with her conversation, a foreigner learning a new language. At the pool, you push through the turnstile. A chlorine haze hovers over the water. The high dive looks like a white walkway into the sky. On the sloped concrete, Amy puts her towel next to yours. You have a two-piece suit, but Amy has a bikini. Mm -hmm. Next year, you think, I'll be there too. 
You hope she waits for you. As if she can read your mind, Amy sticks her tongue out and smiles, her teeth like chiclets. That evening, you can feel autumn moving closer. You and Amy practice headstands and cartwheels, the grass brightening as the sun descends. And with each flip, the lawn goes greener, greener, almost to blue. Your parents are relaxing on the redwood deck, a pack of parliaments between them. A transistor radio plays Jack Jones. Hey, little girl, fix your hair, do your makeup. School is one week away. Inside, wool skirts are lined up in the closet and spiral notebooks stacked on the desk. But now the fireflies blink in the bushes. The moon pulls up from behind the hedges and shines down on your family, your street, and Amy, who will be your friend forever, all poised on an island shaped like a fish floating in the choppy water. Thank you. I love how with just a few words, Dee creates an entire neighborhood experience. Dee has published poems, stories, and photos in local journals, including Adobe Walls, Mall Pais Review, Fix and Free Anthologies, and the Dime Stories Print Anthology, with a story that was then included in The Best Small Fictions of 2015, published by Queensferry Press. Our first two stories have been nonfiction, but we have a piece of fiction for our final selection. We think you'll agree, though, that the setting, the childhood relationship it describes, and the conclusion it reaches all feel like they come right out of real life. One of our real Dime Stories all-stars, Elizabeth Crane, performs Best Friends Seriously Forever. Somewhere in Louisiana, there are two 14-year-old best friends who like to go swimming in a river near where they live, where there used to be no alligators, but then there were. The alligators came. Mandy and Terry are swimming in the river, as usual, in their new bikinis from Target, splashing and talking about the two cute brothers who just moved down the street, who are splashing and horsing around about ten yards away from them, and who are for sure coming to the Taco Bell tonight, because they look so foxy in their new bikinis from Target. Mandy and Terry are about to go dry off with their Hello Kitty and InSync beach towels, respectively, when Mandy slips down and screams that she's stuck in something, not yet knowing that what she's stuck in is an alligator, until Terry screams, It's an alligator! Terry pulls at Mandy and at the same time yells, Alligator! Alligator! Mandy's stuck in an alligator! Over to the two cute brothers, who run out of the water, without putting on their flip-flops even, and who for a second look like they're running over to save Mandy from the alligator, but then they keep running, and it becomes clear that they are running home and away from alligators altogether. Terry has to take drastic measures now, and almost as though she has superhuman powers, she pries open the alligator's mouth and screams at Mandy, Get out, Mandy, now! Mandy, go! Mandy, get out! Get out! So that Mandy can get out, and Mandy gets out and runs out of the river, and so does Terry. Mandy is hurt pretty bad and will go to the hospital, but right this minute, Mandy and Terry have collapsed into a fit of giggles about overcoming the alligator. At the hospital, Mandy and Terry are interviewed for the local news, and Mandy says, Terry is my best friend, and always was my best friend, but now is seriously my best friend, and will be my best friend, seriously, forever? And when they ask if she was scared, Terry says, I didn't even think about it, really. I was just trying to get Mandy out. Mandy and Terry grow up and don't stay best friends, seriously, forever, but not because they forget. 
They don't forget so much as move away and lose touch the way people do. They just get married and move away and have babies and sort of forget, but not totally. When their kids are old enough to go swimming, they swim only in pools. And Mandy and Terry think of each other at these times and tell their husbands that they once escaped an alligator. And the husbands only believe them when they show them the yellow newspapers. And when Mandy and Terry look at the yellow newspapers is when they remember. Elizabeth Crane teaches in the UCR Palm Desert Low Residency MFA program and is the author of three collections of short stories, When the Messenger is Hot, All This Heavenly Glory, and You Must Be This Happy to Enter. Her work has been featured on NPR's Selected Shorts, adapted for the stage by Chicago's Steppenwolf Theatre Company, and published in outlets like Coachella Review, Mississippi Review, Florida Review, Make, Fail Better, The Huffington Post, Eating Well, Chicago Magazine, The Chicago Reader, and The Believer and anthologies including Alter Red, The Show I'll Never Forget, The Best Underground Fiction, Who Can Save Us Now, Root Neighbors, and Zank's Best of the Web 2008 and 2010. Her debut novel, We Only Know So Much, was published by Harper Perennial in 2012, and a feature film adaptation is currently in post-production. Her newest novel, The History of Great Things, was published by Harper Perennial in April 2016. You can learn more at elizabethcrane.com. Dime Stories was founded by novelist Amy Wallen and is now managed by Jennifer Simpson. Dime Stories chapters meet every month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Orange County, California, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to start a chapter in your town, write us through the contact page of our website, www.dimestories.org, where you can also find hundreds of Dime Stories archived, including the ones from this episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is a series of moments, and any one of those could become a Dime Story. So start writing yours today.